Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. I'm Darren. This is Vince. Today we have a guest with a very high pedigree, Arthur Gervé. How do you pronounce the last name? Yeah, it's French. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on our show. You are a co-founder, I believe, of the Liquidity Network. That's um, correct. Perhaps you want to speak a little bit about it to introduce some basic concepts of the Liquidity Network to our audience. Of course, I would love to. So blockchains in general uh, don't scale, and I believe most of the audience already heard about that. So maybe the first question would be, why don't they scale? So the the underlying idea of how Bitcoin actually works is that if I do a transaction and I send some amount of money to my grandma, I'm not only informing my grandma about this transaction, I'm actually informing everyone that is in the Bitcoin network uh, about this particular transaction. And naturally, if the Bitcoin network grows and I will have to still inform everyone in the network about my transaction to my grandma, well, it slows down things quite a bit. And this is typically to refer to as not being able to scale because everyone needs to know everything about every transaction. Right. And in order to solve this, we have developed the liquidity network, which allows you to do transactions between uh, participants without the need of informing everyone else, while still relying on the security of the underlying blockchain. Okay. So that, that's in an essence basically what liquidity is. We are not the first one of having proposed such so-called off-chain transactions. So there have been other proposals since 2015. Like Lightning is one of the famous proponents. However, our design is fundamentally different. So you can think of Lightning as being uh, something where you build two-party payment channels. So me and my grandma, we agree that we're going to build a channel between each other. So let's say I put in one Bitcoin, she puts in another Bitcoin in this channel. And then we can transact between each other up to one Bitcoin of currency. This is how how Lightning works. So now it's possible that my grandpa is connected to my grandma via another channel and then we can hop basically over my grandma uh, and I can forward a payment to my grandpa. So this is then a linked payment in Lightning sense. So however, this design by definition has quite some drawbacks. For example, you need to lock up quite some collateral. This means I have to lock up, for example, a Bitcoin or like the amount that I want to trade with my grandma. My grandma needs to lock an amount with me and with my grandpa. Uh, and my grandpa needs to lock some amount with my grandma, right? Mm-hmm. If you just sum this up, there's going to be quite a substantial amount of locked up collateral is required for these two-party payment channels. And in liquidity, what we build is something more generic. It's a network of N-party payment hubs. So you can think of it as like super nodes that are very well connected and you can have like really a lot of these super nodes. And these super nodes, they can support millions of participants. And if you're a participant in one of these super nodes, then you can send crypto for free to the other participants of this particular super node. And the overall collateral requirements are less. The flexibility in joining a hub, so actually it's much higher because it's free to join a hub. So you don't need to have any crypto upfront in order to join a hub. Whereas in Lightning, you need to have Bitcoin or some crypto in order to join any two-party payment channels. Uh, there's no exemption uh, as such. Whereas in liquidity, there's really in, like a free off-chain registration. That's, that's I think, one of the killer features for, for user adoption. You can actually install a mobile app 
and you're already in the network, right? There's no need for you to buy anything upfront. Whereas if you use other technologies such as Lightning, you need to buy crypto upfront and use this crypto in order to join a network. So it makes sense. It, it brings forward some questions, I guess. Okay, great. I'm trying to get my head around it. I'll just give you a use case. Perhaps I have a half of an Ethereum that I've purchased on the Binance exchange. Now, how would I go about utilizing the liquidity network to send a tenth of an Ethereum to another friend of mine who's registered on the network as well. What, what are the steps involved for me to, to use that process? On liquidity, you mean, right? Yes. So the process from a technical side is that you take your Ether and you charge your liquidity wallet with, we call it liquid Ether. So one Ether is equal to one liquid Ether. Okay. So there's basically it's the same. Have you heard about the concept of wrapped ether? No. It's like basically an ERC20 token that is ether. So one wrapped ether is also equal to one ether. Okay. And you can think it's really the same concept. You kind of transform your ether into liquid ether and it stays the same you have still custody over your funds it's controlled by by your private key so there's no one that can actually like take away your money um, but now it's liquid in the sense that it can be transferred for free off chain over the liquidity network so you would take your you have ether from your exchange from your favorite exchange you send it to the let's say the mobile app of liquidity Okay. which is a standard Ethereum address. Once it's in the wallet, this is still on chain, you swap the Ether into a liquid Ether, and then you can send this without gas costs to, uh, to your friend by just indicating his Ethereum address. All right. So, Arthur, you say without any gas costs to a friend, so there is no cost to me doing this at all? No. Once you have converted Ether into liquid Ether, there is no cost associated to transferring this particular liquid Ether to your friend. So you can think of the liquidity network as a network of payment hubs, and we are operating a few of those hubs, and we are committed to offering free services to regular users. This means that we're kind of subsidizing the costs, the costs of transfer. We can do so because our technology allows you to, you can think of it like perform millions of transactions off the chain and condense them in in a very compressed way on the chain then. Okay. And this is what allows us to amortize the cost and we can offer it for free to regular users. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So the zero cost is something that is subsidized would it be fair to say temporarily or is this a long-term thing and if if it is temporary in the long term is the cost estimation of of utilizing this quite small i think on the lightning network there was some people mentioning like five ten cents us per transfer in the end of the day like when there is a cost associated with it i'm assuming it's going to be quite small anyways would would that be a fair statement no we really plan to have it permanently free basically the only event that would make us forced to charge for regular users would be if the gas costs uh, increase really significantly Right. Like to that extent that even normal people, they can't do on-chain transactions anymore. And then I think, well, that we have a bigger problem. <laughs> right. To the best of my knowledge for now, we don't 
want to change this and we don't plan to change this at all. What will be, however, not free is the professional usage. So let's say you're a merchant and you want to accept payments from your customers in liquidity because they are happy to pay in liquidity because it doesn't cost them anything. Right. Um, so if you're exceeding certain thresholds, which we haven't yet defined, but if you're exceeding thresholds in terms of number of transactions per day, in terms of uh, amount, so transaction volume, then there will be a fee associated with uh, that that we're still determining. Okay, wonderful. Wow, that's great. And I think you're I mean, currently probably working on a merchant solution for this? Exactly. We have an API. It's basically similar to the merchant API of PayPal. It's really a very similar concept because it's simply a way for a merchant to accept a payment I mean, that the user can then execute it. Right. And I believe you're doing an ICO in June. So it's upcoming like almost immediately now. And currently you have a working test net where this is all actually being used and is completely functional. Is, is that true that's, to say? That, that's correct. You can actually test it out yourself. Uh, it's wallet.liquidity.network is the URL. The best experience is when you have like one Firefox and one Chrome open with MetaMask installed in both yes and then you register both instances on the network you get some robston testnet ether for free from a fossé because uh, it's for free right it's testnet ether yeah. and then you deposit or you convert your ether into liquid ether and then you transfer it uh, to the other participant who has not gotten any crypto and that's actually the cool part and then you can even create like another wallet and register this this third wallet on the liquidity network and then forward the the off-chain payment that the second guy got and you're going to see that you can actually forward payments and off-chain payments without ever having had access to on-chain ether. So my vision is kind of, in best case, people, they're going to stay off the chain, right? We don't want them to go on the chain because right. if you go on the chain, then you're basically spamming the chain because there's no need for doing so. And you, you're actually saving costs on, on the regular transfers if you just stay off the chain. Okay. That's why it's liquid, right? It's like easier to transfer. And imagine maybe there's the Crypto Kitty version 2 or 3 coming up yeah. and the blockchain gets congested again. Right. What's going to happen? I mean, many people will want to have liquid ether because then it makes really a difference to, to transfer money. Of course, yeah. I mean, the Crypto Kitties <laughs> game, I mean, a lot of people got pretty angry about it, right? Like, what's this game? It's spamming our network. We're paying huge fuel costs to send anything. And it sounds like the future, really. Yeah, I wouldn't get angry at Crypto Kitties or anyone who actually develops an application that is being heavily utilized. I would be um, rather happy because... It drives I mean, adoption. If, if, if we get less users, then we're dying, right? If you're yeah. not growing, we're dying. So yeah. why would we want to shrink? <laughs> Good point. Well, you got a couple questions there? I see that unlike uh, Lightning and Raiden, Liquidity Network is also the only one with easy routing. Could you briefly just explain what that easy routing means to people out there? Of course. So let's say you have like uh, one super node and there are a million people connected to the super node. I'm one of them and I want to send now some funds to half a million of these users. Okay. So it's really easy in a sense because I can directly do that, right? I'm, I mean, they are just one hop away, which is the, the hub. It's just one middleman. And the good part is that this middleman, he doesn't own my funds because I always own my funds with my private key. Right. And if you have now, let's say, five other hubs, then the hub that I'm connected to, he can have fairly static and long-lived peering agreements with these other five hubs. 
And this makes routing very easily. So what actually complicates routing, so if you studied a bit um, the internet protocols like BGP, OSPF, or RIP, then you know that what makes routing complex are the update cycles. So let's say a node goes down, then you have to update everyone. Oh, you can no longer go over this route because this node went down. Or, uh, oh, the, the traffic between this and this node is uh, overloaded. You should choose another route, right? So this is what makes routing very complex. And this is what gives basically a lot of headache to, to Lightning or Radiant developers now because they're basing on their network on, on an architecture where you have peers that can come and join at any point in time, which is good in terms of like openness, it's true, but in terms of quality of service and, and reliability, it's very bad. So it's really hard to get this routing in an easy way, whereas in the liquidity network, you, you can have a set of hubs that have fairly static and long-lived routing agreements. Uh, these are most likely professional entities that have a high degree of, of professionalism in sense of they know how to run a, a web server, they know how to how to get their security right, they know how to do monitoring correctly. Whereas in Lightning, you can really go over anyone and you don't know for sure what kind of quality of service you're getting there. Thank so, you. So would it be fair for me to say that it's a bit more centralized than something like the Lightning Network, although it's justifiable because of the security costs as well as the difficulty in actually running something fully decentralized? That's, that's a very good question. So the first thing I would like to ask is, in order to answer this question, is how do you define centralization? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the devil's in the details, right? The supernode concept seems to be kind of a, an answer of achieving a balance between a decentralized yet still having a higher functionality with improved security. I think, I mean, we, we should define centralization. I think that okay. that's actually very important because what people often, I think people often misunderstand what centralization means. So I would call, I would guess there are two possible properties that we're interested in. The first one being who is custodian. So if you have a regular bank, uh, you have a bank account there, they own your money, it's a custodian. It's centralized because they have your money, right? Yes. yes. So this is, this is the first property, who is custodian? So in Lightning or liquidity, there's just the user who is custodian of his own funds. So that's the same property. The second property is redundancy. So how redundant is liquidity or how redundant is Lightning? So in the case of, of Lightning, you have a very redundant network or I mean, you could likely choose many different routes towards a target at the expense that everyone needs to set up channels with like, like multiple channels and so that you have actually a choice, right? Yes. In liquidity, you have less redundancy because there, there will likely be less routes uh, that you can choose from. But these routes will be more reliable in a sense because the operators are just more professional entities. Right. Now your question is probably also, who can censor my payment? So let's say in liquidity, you say it's centralized because you feel like there are less super nodes. I mean, there are less nodes and these are super nodes, so they might just not let me do my payment. Or right? So in, in liquidity, as also in Lightning, a peer can deny service to you if they want to, right? They can right. avoid okay. forwarding a payment if they want to. They right. can just like kind of disagree. Um, yeah, like a bad actor or something that you can... Right. So if that were to happen, it's very simple for the user. The user can just withdraw the liquid ether from a hub 
and use another hub. There's nothing that the hub operator could do in order to deny, basically steal the funds or avoid that the user can take out his funds because ultimately everything is controlled through the smart contract. And we always say that if you have a smart contract who's controlling funds, then you have a decentralized system, right? That's why I'm yeah, coming back true. to how do you define centralization? Right, right. Um, okay, that makes sense. So <laughs> maybe you can say it's it's centralized but untrusted. Right, right. right. <laughs> the, the smart contract aspect you brought up, that's a really good point. Ultimately, that just guarantees a, a high level of trust, right? If the contract's not fulfilled, then it's broken. And that's, that's the idea, right? If the server goes down, or let's say, I mean, it's one, one argument which I believe uh, and some people raise, which is valid, is if a hub goes down and it has a million users, then a million users, they're going to have a problem because they have to take out their funds and they're going to have to go to a new hub. Right. This is a burden, right, for the users. It's kind of annoying. Certainly, um, yeah. But it's only annoying, so it won't cost them funds, right? They, they, they are not losing their funds in a sense. It's just an annoyance of they have to go to another server. If that, however, happens in Lightning, like let's say you have a thousand channels or like a million channels that close, this is actually very dangerous because then what happens is that everyone will need to issue a, a closed transaction. And if someone issues an outdated state uh, in the closed transaction in Lightning, then you need to respond. And because everybody is currently busy closing their channels, the, the transaction fees probably will be quite high. So it, this is actually a huge risk on blockchain congestion when using uh, two-party payment channels such as Lightning, which is not the case in liquidity. It's more resilient to blockchain congestion. So you, you don't have this kind of a timeout where you have to like now take out your funds. You can really wait. This is, this is not a big issue. Okay. I do have another question, a bit of a change in subject, I guess. The ICO, so the liquidity network coin or token that is, I believe you were selling via Dutch auction starting in June. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Oh. It's 14th of June. Okay. So I've dabbled in investing in some ICOs, some cryptos, you know, many bad, some good. <laughs> <laughs> now... It's an aspect I haven't explored yet, but uh, where lies the value in the coin or token that you are issuing? And if I was to invest in that, if I'm running a node or apply to run some type of node for the liquidity network, do I need to be an investor in the coins? Or I'm just trying to understand the relationship between the coin and the functionality, I guess. Of course. So the basic idea of the token is that it's a means of payment. It's really a, it's a currency. So if you want to use the liquidity network as a merchant, so if you want to, for example, pay for API services or if you want to assign a service level agreement uh, where you want to have 99.99% uh, availability, guaranteed 100 transactions per second uh, through a hub. So if you have these kind of properties, our hubs, so the, the hubs that, that we set up, they will require uh, liquidity as a means of payment. And the idea is that this is a, is a currency which defines a network. It's similar to having Bitcoin being the currency on the Bitcoin blockchain, whereas liquidity is the currency on the liquidity network. So now if you come along and you want to build a liquidity network hub and you have like a few customers or users that want to join your hub, then you have the option to peer with our hubs, right? 
Yes. So you can join our network and then your users can send payments to our users and our users can send payments to your users. So it's kind of beneficial for both sides because you have access to our network, we have access to your network. How we will define the liquidity network is that we will peer with you, we will do a peering agreement with your hubs if and only if you accept liquidity as a means of payment. Right, okay. You can think of it as like a meta blockchain. So it's on top of a blockchain, another blockchain with another means of payment. Right, okay. So this token is liquid ether. Is that basically what we're saying? No, uh, no, that's different. Um, oh, is it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just really trying to get my head around it. So there's liquid ether, which is equivalent to off chain ether. Okay. This is literally, this is ether. And there's the liquidity token, which is the token. Okay. Okay. So you would actually be purchasing liquidity tokens. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Right. This okay. is the means of payment, and this is what we're offering as a as purchase in the ICO. And I'm sorry, you said that was June. June fourteenth. June fourteenth. Start of the Dutch auction, and so a Dutch auction starts with a high cap, and then it decreases over time to to get a fair price valuation. Terrific. Now, in regard to other coins and tokens, uh, reading all over Reddit, where there's the various Reddit factions or trying to get enough votes for coins to get put onto the liquidity network. What's your general feeling uh, going forward in the future? Are you, pr- you feeling pretty optimistic about where you're headed? Yes, there's so much work to be done, though. <laughs> <laughs> the ICO is not our priority. The priority we have is actually delivering the tech. And this is, I think, what we have also shown by providing the testnet wallet in March, which was actually during our pre-sale. So we, we were able to manage to deliver the testnet wallet basically before the pre-sale started. So, I mean, it's, it, it got delivered during the pre-sale. But this is, I think, what many people should do in the space. They should first build and then raise funds, right? They should first have like an MVP that actually works and shows what, it's, what it is. And I think that's very exciting to us to, to, to just deliver. So we have the MVP. We have the, the mainnet coming up as well now. We have the uh, mobile app coming up. We have an API coming up. So there's a lot of exciting things. And these are all utilizing the the already working version that we have deployed on, on, on Ethereum. Okay. Yeah, and I agree with having the work done before you do the marketing. <laughs> I'm very much on board with that type of concept. There's been so many in the past year, that the promise of delivery without any of the work being last, done. Last, it's, I last mean, year was the year of the promises, and um, I think this year should be the year of the delivery. <laughs> yes. So our pre-sales, I mean, it was an open pre-sale, a public. We did not no private sales so far, which, which I also haven't seen much, to be honest. But for the pre-sale, the only marketing we did was one talk from me at Stanford university in january and one talk in in zook in a small meetup right this, okay. was, this was the marketing we did for the pre okay read a couple of tweets from vitalik buterin saying he's very much looking forward to this coming on board yeah it sounds like all systems are go and i couldn't even imagine the amount of work you'd have to undertake to get this thing rolling yeah i have to say i have worked in this space since 2012 so i started my phd also in 2012 on the on this topic so naturally the experience allows you to move faster than when it's when it's critical but nevertheless it's a lot of work <laughs> right yeah w- what challenges have you had trying to piece together a development team that can work at the level you require them to work at? To be honest, not not too difficult because, I mean, I'm assistant professor at Imperial College London. I have a lot of contacts at ETH Zurich still, where I did my PhD. So I have a lot of contacts to excellent people. Um, and this is actually 
why we are successful, right? Because we are just working with excellent people. And so I didn't have that much of an issue on that side. I think what's more of a challenge, because I'm not an expert in, in business, I have done a startup before, but I'm not like an expert expert in business or like in finance and accounting and all these topics that, that are very relevant to, to everyday startups, right? The strategy right. is, the technology is important, I agree, but it's not everything. Right. And it's, it, it, there's very much on the, on the community side to be done, there's very much on the business side to be done, which is, is a, this is a more of a challenge to, to us, I think, or to me, where I am still learning quite a lot every day, which is super exciting to me. Great. Is there any other questions you have? I don't think we have any other questions. Arthur, do you have anything else that you would like to say to any of our listeners? Oh, yes. There's one, one thing. So we are having, um, so we are offering airdrops, uh, which means that uh, maybe you're familiar with how an airdrop works. Typically, it's like you subscribe to receive an airdrop and then uh, a company or a project sends like a, a random amount of tokens to, let's say, a, a few thousand or millions of participants. Okay. Um, so these are typically done on the chain. And maybe if you, you've understood now, I don't like on-the-chain transactions. <laughs> yes. So we are basically offering an airdrop service with liquidity where we can do an airdrop for free uh, to projects. So let's say you have like, I don't know, uh, 100,000 US dollars worth of token that you would like to distribute. Then you can contact us and we can send this to all the participants that are currently registered in our liquidity network hubs. This is a service that we offer. And as a recipient, it's fairly simple how to receive those. You simply need to install the mobile app that we have. Really? Okay. <laughs> wow, that's great. Yeah. That sounds like a, a great tool to drive a lot of adoption. That sounds fantastic. I see the MasterCard and Visa, the merchant. My main work is retail. I'm an internet retailer, right? So I know the merchant side of business very well. And with the FinTrack and the, the Swift Network payment, I run multiple currencies and I'm having a lot of trouble, especially in the last couple of years, having an income in the correct currencies that I require to actually pay my bills without paying uh, conversion rates that are sometimes quite astounding, two to 3%. I think PayPal is now running four to 5%. So I don't know a lot about Ripple and Stellar Lumens. I know they're definitely a centralized type of currency, but uh, I keep looking for the next Visa and MasterCard real competition that can uh, become a real challenge against these entrenched companies. To me, it sounds like your liquidity network is almost designed to really start to compete directly with that type of a system as well as allowing peer-to-peer transactions at low fees but i look forward to the future see how it all plays out Mm -hmm. i definitely want to thank you for your time and talking to us canadians over here and (laughs) wish you all the best and have a great evening just like to say thank you arthur very nice meeting you yeah Yeah. thanks for your time we appreciate it thank you so much for having me thank you bitcoin roundtable random musings and interviews about bitcoin